Welcome to the Shari Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Tzedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. This past week, we marked Tisha B'Av, the ninth day of the month of Av, a day of mourning commemorating the destructions of the first and second temples, among other Jewish tragedies. The scroll that we read on this holiday is Lamentations, a text whose central theme could be read as this. The temple and the city of Jerusalem were left desolate because of the transgressions of the Jewish people. We did something wrong. God allowed an army to conquer us as a result. We deserved the suffering and must beg God for forgiveness. Now this central theme of Lamentations is simply another expression of a belief system that we also find throughout the book of Deuteronomy, including in this week's Torah portion, Ba'etchanan. In our portion, we read, Know therefore that only Adonai your God is God, the steadfast God who keeps the covenant faithfully to the thousandth generation of those who love God and keep God's commandments, but who instantly repays with destruction those who reject God. God is never slow with those who reject God, but repays them instantly. Now, what is the common denominator between this dire warning from Deuteronomy and the tragic poetry of Lamentation? God is in control of everything. When you make God mad, you reap the consequences. This is the principle of midah keneged midah, measure for measure. When you do good, God does good for you. When you do bad, God responds in kind. This plays out in Deuteronomy in lists of blessing and curses many of which make up the second paragraph of the Be'ahavta, a passage so problematic for early Reformed Jews that it is still absent from all of our prayer books. Adhering to God's covenant and following the laws brings blessings. Children, healthy crops, safety and security. On the other hand, breaking the covenant leads to natural disasters, drought, famine, and the Holy Land spitting us out from its borders. Fun stuff. So, does this dynamic ring true for us? Is this the way we see the world working? Frankly, 
I don't think so. We all know people who never get what we imagine they deserve, good or bad. And we can think back to so many times through history, our own and the world's, where the innocent have needlessly suffered. And yet, this is a belief that operates on many of us on a subconscious level. I'm sure we've all seen someone we loved sick or in pain and thought, they don't deserve this. That is us internalizing this theology, ascribing a moral order to the universe for but a brief moment. And, and this is only natural. It is easier and less scary to live in a world of reward and punishment rather than acknowledging that we may be at the mercy of random chance. Now, we might still want to argue with Deuteronomy, but even within the Tanakh, within the Hebrew Bible, there is disagreement. The book of Job, for example, presents a challenge to the notion that good begets good and bad begets bad. In this text, whose study is traditionally reserved for the house of mourning, the righteous man Job is tested by God at the behest of a divine prosecutor known as Ha-Satan, which may sound familiar because that is the character from whom Christianity develops the figure of Satan. Job's wealth, health, and family are taken from him to test his faith. As a result, he curses God and spends the rest of the book complaining to his friends while they try to get him to figure out what he must have done wrong to deserve his punishment. Now, as the reader, we know that Job had committed no sin whatsoever. And when Job finally demands that God explain God's self, God appears to him and says, and I'm going to paraphrase based on uh, a summary by the Rolschbarsch, a 20th, 20th and 21st century Canadian rabbi. Were you there when I created the universe? Have you ever commanded the day to start? Because I have. Did you invent the armadillo or the ostrich? Oh, no. Well, I did. I am so big and you are so small. How could you possibly understand me and the way I do things? So I say to you, don't even bother. Just accept what is. There is a rhyme and reason to everything I do. There's a purpose for earthquakes and hurricanes and suffering, but you couldn't possibly get it. So don't try. Job acquiesces and God bribes him with a new, better family and more wealth than he had to start. Hush money to cover up a divine injustice. The book of Job seems to suggest that even if there is divine justice, humans are too puny to understand. Not a satisfying answer. The book of Ecclesiastes, which we read on Sukkot, offers its own approach. In a text also immortalized in a, an incredible song by Pete Seeger, we read, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven, 
a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, and so on and so on and so on. The message here is equally clear. Everything simply happens without reason or meaning. We have no say, we can only react. This might work for you, but does this mean that we are left only in the hands of causality and fate? Now, this isn't just something that happens in the Bible. Even the rabbis acknowledge the apparent flaws in Deuteronomy's ethical system. The rabbis saw the way the world worked, particularly under the oppression of the Roman Empire, and knew that there must be some way for God to be just, even as innocent people suffer. There were those good people who seemed to have been given a difficult lot in life, and those evil people who were given far more than they deserved. The answer for the rabbis was obvious. The equation would be balanced out in the afterlife, the world to come. The evil person who prospered would be punished in turn, and the good person would be rewarded. Thus, even as the Romans were torturing and slaughtering their fellow Jews, the rabbis were able to sleep easy, knowing that it would all work out later on. This is also how they dealt with questions that were too difficult to answer. Those answers would also be found in the world to come. A band-aid for the flawed Deuteronomic mindset. And that, I think, was all good exposition. But where does this leave us, we who live in such a clearly imperfect world? Do we have to pick one of these that works for us? Here's what I think. I think the diversity of opinions, even in our own sacred texts, tells us that there is no one answer to the question of why bad things happen to good people. We may need a combination of answers or to even find our own. And indeed, the same understanding of good and evil may not even work for any one of us from one day to the next. But we have been handed down 4,000 years of tradition, millennia of confused and hurting people struggling to answer the same questions we struggle with. Our responsibility is to struggle along with them, to drink deeply from the well of Jewish wisdom and work to find answers. The meaning we can derive from this is not so much from the answers we find, as from the attempt to understand the moral workings of the world in which we live. And just so we leave in, in a little bit of a happier place, I'm going to close with an answer that I've found that works for me. Knowing that there is no magic formula or silver bullet. But I believe overall, when we commit ourselves to goodness, to nurturing our community, to being forgiving and loving, we inevitably make the world a better place. So give that $20 to someone who might need it. Call someone lonely in need of connection. Deliver groceries to someone who can't leave home right now. It probably won't protect you from suffering, but it will help all of us build 
a more just, decent, and caring world. Shabbat Shalom.